Father, thank you for the privilege to gather today. Thank you that you sit on the throne over everything. That in the midst of a crazy world in which we live in, my heart's reflecting with a reading of Scripture, Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Father, I pray that you strengthen our faith today. We certainly don't want to be people who are panicking in the midst of utter confusion, for we know that you reign. You reign over the kings of the earth. You reign in a hospital room at UCLA and over the Dixon life, but we beseech you, preserve her that she might be able to raise those kids to the glory of God and be a wife and mother both to the kids and to, to Micah. Father, we thank you for David Guy. Thank you that his own children would speak so highly of his life, his life as well as their own mother. And Father, as we come into that place even this day, Father, on Tuesday, would you, uh, would you cause that to abound for your glory? Father, we are so needy upon you today, so grateful, so full of uh, just even to be able to worship and to give you praise this day. So Lord, we confess that we love you. Would you turn your hearts, turn our hearts to be tuned to you out of the word of God and would the Holy Spirit do that which I cannot do to penetrate our heart, to illuminate the scripture, to encourage our heart. And Father, if anything, even as we begin, as we just address briefly the spiritual gifts, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ modeled all of these perfectly. And Father, he's ascended to glory and he's put these gifts in us that we might reveal him. And so, Father, may it be that we praise the person of Christ whom we honor. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12. Would you turn over there? Romans chapter 12. I thought just for a week, uh, if we can just look at the ideal of spiritual gifts, I, I hesitated because I'm on that wonderful section in the book of Ephesians that he gave some as apostles, then he gave the prophets, the evangelists, and then he gave the pastors and the teachers and we'll, we'll, get, we'll do that next week. But I thought because it's ministry expo and I've been highlighting that to each one of us in Ephesians 4, 7 has been given a gift, you know, according to the measure of our faith, I thought it might be helpful as I've addressed spiritual gifts that at least I take you to maybe one list this morning. I, I realize it's not the context of Ephesians 4. What Paul does there is he's going to list the gifts, but the gifts that he lists there uh, in Ephesians 4 are, are the leadership gifts after just telling us that each of us have been given a gift. So let me read this for you in 12, 3 through 8 in Romans for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, one, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. 
having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, as we prayed and read the scripture, and I'm bringing you to one of the list, Paul in Romans 12 mentions seven gifts. Now, the question would be raised, and we're talking about a spiritual gift, is how many gifts are there? Well, there's seven here, but if I were to exposit from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there would be nine gifts mentioned. As we'll look next week in the book of Ephesians 4, at least expressed of the leadership, there's four gifts. Some, when you look at the category theologically across the landscape of theology, would say there's 15. Uh, a tremendous New Testament scholar who taught me many things at the Master Seminary, Dr. Robert Thomas, said that there were 18 gifts total in scripture. Um, others say 19. And you say, well, how many are there? Well, I don't think you could actually categorize how many they are because I think these lists are selective, not exhaustive. In other words, there's many combinations, there's many types, variables, but all of you for sure, I would say this, as a believer in Christ, have one spiritual gift that was given to you at the moment of your salvation. Now, let me just address this for a second. What is a grace gift? What is a spiritual gift? Here it is. It is a supernatural, I could say spiritual gift, but that's the word supernatural, given to serve God and other people. Paul is not addressing either in these lists natural talents, but a unique God-given, spirit-enabled gift to serve the body of Christ in such a way that God is glorified and the church is unified. There it is. You say, what is this? What are you talking about? What is Paul talking about this? He's talking about a unique, God-given, spirit-enabled gift to serve the body of Christ in such a way that... God is glorified and the church is unified. And what Romans says, I think you could see that in verse uh, 6, let us use them. Or at least in the NASB, let us exercise them. Thus, the ministry expo today. You are to use your gift. You are to exercise your gift. So let me just dive right in and give you a, a flyby of these seven gifts. I can't say everything today. I, I hope we can get through them. But let, let me at least address this list to you, and then I'll say something to you at the end. But of course, I am speaking to every one of you. You may be in junior high. I'm addressing you. You may be in high school, I'm addressing you. 
You're an adult. Maybe you're single. I'm addressing you. You play a vital part of the life of our church. Let's walk through these gifts. The first one I'll be a little bit briefer on because I'll say more next week. But look at verse 6. At the end of verse 6, it says, If prophecy in proportion to our faith. First is the gift of prophecy. And prophecy, as we know from our exposition of Ephesians 2.20, is foundational to the church. In other words, there was a prophetic gift. There were the, was the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians 2.20. Uh, the prophets provided, if you will, divine revelation to the church as it was being framed. Now, there's two elements to prophecy that you need to know. One is foretelling, F-O-R-E, foretelling. And the other aspect of prophecy in the scripture is telling, F-O-R-T-H, okay? Foretelling in the first century, okay, was the ability to predict the future at times, that's what you might think of a prophet, at times they spoke the word of the Lord, at times they would foretell, predict the future, and they did that, we call by way of special revelation, and even the New Testament but the office of an apostle, the office, that would be the key word, and a prophet was closed, we teach, at the completion of the canon. In other words, beloved, and I'll say more on this next week, once the scriptures were completed, prophecy has no longer been a means of new revelation. And by that, we don't need prophets today granting us something new. That's what these prophets did at times. You say, well, why did they do that? Well, put yourself back in the first century where the canon was not closed. They were not holding their Bibles. The apostles' doctrine had not been canonized. And at times the apostles would give direct revelation and sometimes the prophets would speak forth sometimes in a predictive nature. But again, once it was complete, the proclamation was already revealed, and now it takes on a different function. It takes on this function today, and it's listed in Romans chapter 12, of a spirit-given, spirit-enabled proclamation of the Word of God today. In other words, we're not foretelling the future. God's already spoken. But at times, this prophetic gift listed here can be used, but it is a proclamation of the word of God that has already been revealed. I think the best definition of prophecy will come up, and I want you to see this. Here's even what it meant in the early church. On the other hand, he's talking about not speaking in tongues, that the one who prophesies, you, you say, well, Scott, is that uh, foretelling? In some rare cases, it was, and they were usually sometimes telling of the apostles' doctrine. But the one who is spirit-enabled, spirit-empowered, 
speaks to people, watch this, for their upbuilding, to build them up, for their encouragement, and for their consolation. So I absolutely believe, though the office has ceased to exist, that this gift is still in vogue today, if you will. In other words, if you do it for the upbuilding, you do it for encouragement, for consolation, or maybe we could say to build up, to fire up, and to hold up. Now, those who have this gift need to do it. Look at verse 3, excuse me, in verse 6. Let us use them at prophecy in proportion. Now, I'm reading out of the ESV and. um I understand what they said here. It says in proportion to, it says, our faith. Now, it's hard to prove this grammatically, so the ESV has translated it. They translated it that you prophesy, build up, encourage, console, if you will, and you use the word of God to do that in proportion either to your subjective faith what you possess, in other words, you do that in proportion to our faith and the depth of it. Could mean that, that's subjective, but I think it's an objective here, and which means according to the faith. You say, well, Scott, why do you think it's the faith? Well, real easy, in the Greek, it has a definite article in front of faith. So he's not talking about your faith. He's talking about the faith, the faith, once and for all, delivered to the saints. So even those, that man or woman who's who's exercising this prophetic gift to build up, to encourage, or to console, is using the word of God to do it. We're not hearing people say today, the Lord told me. He doesn't do that anymore because he's already revealed himself in Scripture. So there were times the office obviously was in effect, but here it becomes a tangible expression, not foretelling, but forthtelling of the Word of God. Let me give you some characteristics of this gift, okay? And I'm going to be real practical with you today. And, uh, and by the way, if you don't get it all right here, I'd rather have you listen. I included all my sermon notes on the Ministry Expo book you'll get when you walk out. I just put my notes in there for you, okay? But what's a characteristic of, a, of prophecy? What is this, Scott? Well, it, it means to speak forth. It means to speak out. And it is this. It is a need to express the message verbally. That's what I would say. That the man or woman who's gifted this way doesn't just want to contemplate on it. You want to express it verbally, if you will. It is a desire that's usually accompanied uh, for repentance in the presentation of the truth. In other words, it's a declaration being made. It's a, it's a word that's coming from the word of God to people. And you want to see repentance as you set that uh, prophecy of the word of God and presenting that truth. But it is a, I guess I would say, a directness, a, pervas- a persuasiveness, even in speaking. Maybe I'd put it this way. It is a boldness. It is a conviction. It might even well up out of you. It is, if you have this, and some of you say, well, that's not me. That's okay. But we have, you know, this gift in vogue today, if you will. It's an operation. It is an urgency. 
to communicate the message. That's what I'd say. Jeremiah 20. If I were to say that I'll speak no more, I'll say nothing else because he's probably sitting in in the bottom of a pit being persecuted because he's a prophet. He said, it becomes a fire in my bones and I can't hold it in. So here in the life of our church, he's put men and women in our church like this. Those are the characteristics, the misunderstandings of the gift of prophecy is that sometimes boldness, it's a misunderstanding, may be seen as harshness. If you have the gift of mercy and you hear somebody imploring and exhorting, uh, then it may come off as harshness. In fact, the misunderstanding is a strong desire to convey the truth may be seen as little interest in listening to another's viewpoint. In other words, you just got to get this thing out. You know you may be hurting someone, but sometimes it comes off and you understand the nature of this gift. But if you have it, use it, okay? Secondly, got to keep going, going to fly high. The gift of service. He says in Romans 12, 7, if service, in other words, if you're gifted this way, he says there, in our serving, um, it might be very similar to the word helps, or yeah, helps in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. But here, if service, it's the Greek word diakonia, and it just speaks of ministry. You may be gifted this way. And I'm saying, if you're not serving, go find a ministry where you can do this. It describes one who would wait upon the needs of another. Okay? The idea here is this man or woman wants to take the burden off someone else and you place it on yourself. And what a wonderful gift is service to come alongside the people who teach. And this is how the body of Christ works. All I know is our church has everything our church needs to reveal the glory of Christ. And some of you have been gifted in this way. Let me see if I can give you two pictures. What do you say? What do you mean service? Well, in Luke 4, Simon's mother-in-law had a high fever And do you remember, I've been to that home that they think is that home, or at least that airspace in Capernaum, and he rebuked the fever, and immediately the Bible says that Peter's mother-in-law arose, and she began to wait on them. She began to serve them. Now, I'm not trying to say that's the spiritual gift there, but that's the meaning of the word. You just get busy. You just want to help people. You begin to wait on them and serve them. And a second illustration is in Philippians 2.25, that wonderful biblical character, Epaphroditus. Think about how Paul meant this when he said, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. I mean, Paul calling this guy, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. This guy's my fellow soldier and your messenger. And here's our word. He's a minister to my need. In other words, he risked his life almost to the point of death. And he was a servant to Paul. And you know Paul 
13, 14 letters of the New Testament, but Epaphroditus, he couldn't have done it without him. So there's men and women in this church who are gifted that way. What are the characteristics and then sometimes the misrepresentation? Here, a characteristic of somebody with a gift or service has an alertness, an alertness to detect and meet practical needs quickly, is what I want to say. That somebody who's wired this way sees the need, is alerted to the need, and if you don't have this gift, you might be. Another characteristic here is that physical stamina to meet needs sometimes is set alongside a disregard for their health and for their family. You say, is that wrong? No, I'm just telling you, this is how these people are wired. They're such a servant, such an internal spiritual mechanism. They see the need, they want to meet the need, and they're alerted to do it, and they want it immediately, even to sometimes the overlooking of their own family and even their health. There's involvement with these people in several events, and some of you understand this, with an inability to say what? No. So, uh, I mean, this, w- w- this is such an important gift, and this type of person sees self in a supporting role, not a public ministry. Like, some of you would not want to come up here and get behind the pulpit, and as I say that, your, your heart's pacing as I say that. And partly, partly, that is because if you're wired this way, you want to sometimes do something behind the scenes to, me, to meet that need. The misunderstandings of the gift of service, and, and I'm just explaining this to you. This is not wrong. You have to understand how people are wired, is that a quickness, we, sometimes people misunderstand servants. You say, how? Well, the quickness to serve <laughs> may appear pushy. You know what I mean? It just, they, gosh, they're just pushy. They're not pushy. They're doing their gift. And they want to make it work. It appears that way. Sometimes an eagerness to serve may prompt suspicion of even self-advancement. And I would check that off. Some of these people are not trying to self-advance. They're trying to be helpful and useful to the body. In fact, someone with this gift, a man or woman, I'm laughing, this is true, may react to others who do not see the obvious needs. Are you blind? They don't get why you don't get it. In other words, what becomes intuitive and becomes instant and quickly, they're like, You are just dense and thick. And so we've got to understand how they think. And maybe finally the misunderstanding is meeting of practical needs may be judged as a lack of interest in spiritual matters. The meeting of practical needs may be judged as a lack of interest in spiritual matters. And as your pastor, I'm saying, no, that's not right. In other words, these people though they're serving, are doing something spiritual, though it's physical. Listen, you're going to walk into a warehouse at the expo full today. 
and you're going to see me, but you have no idea what people have been doing behind the scenes all week. And I just want you to know uh, what I'm doing is spiritual before the Lord, but what they've done all week is spiritual. And so it's not just that they meet the practical needs, that there's no spiritual value. No, uh, they're, they're operating in their gift. Third gift, okay? is the gift of teaching. So we've looked at prophecy, we've looked at service, and you can see thirdly, at least in this list, teaching. It says in verse 7 that the one who teaches in his or her, obviously, either way, teaching. What is the gift of teaching? <laughs> I, I just think it's good. Like, uh, obviously, pastors teach. We'll talk about that more next week. But forget that. He's put gifts in you. And by the way, some of you are holding out on us. <laughs> and I, I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to beat you. But if you have this gift, you need to use it. You say, what is it? It is the ability to grasp, and I'm going to say it in our context, and present truth, if you will, in an effective, systematic way. In other words, he's hardwired you, men and women. The passage becomes clear. The saints become edified. And it leads others to a greater understanding by expounding the meaning of the word of God. Is there, you know, I'm just anticipating you. You're a mature body. Is there a difference between prophecy and teaching? And I would say yes. Prophecy is it, prophecy can just be personal, but it also can be public. But prophecy is an urgent verbal proclamation. You gotta get it out. Teaching is a systematic process taking people from one point to the next. It brings clarity, correctness, and of course, if you have this gift, you love to study. If you have this gift, you want to read, if you will. Okay. You say, well, Scott, uh, I don't love to study. I don't know if I love to read. That's okay. He's giving you something else. These people are unique, and they just want to follow this. In fact, I'm, I'm defining words for you now. This is uh, didaskalos. It's the ideal of teaching. Jesus had this Gift, by the way, as I mentioned, he had all the gifts. And now he ascended into glory, and we don't have all the gifts. All the gifts are in the body together. So unless you're part of the team, we're going to be deficient to show Jesus Christ. But Jesus had this gift. Remember the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, to the two disciples, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. I love this. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I love that. It says, he, and they said to one another, were not our hearts burning while, within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? What a wonderful, wonderful privilege this is. Elders, of course, have this gift. There's a character that they have to have, and I won't go into that. But there's only one gift listed in all of the elder qualifications, which is interesting to me. All of the elder qualifications have to do with an elder's relationship with people. I, yeah, sure, God. 
But you reveal that character by his relationship with people except for one thing. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 that he's able to teach. You say, what are the characteristics here? And maybe just a few misunderstandings. There, there is really sometimes a characteristic of the belief that it's to the other gifts. Maybe that's not good. Sometimes people who are gifted this way think they, that is the gift. And it's obviously foundational and crucial, but they tend to think that. There, there's even an emphasis for teachers on the accuracy of research to validate truth. And for some people, and I'm just giving you a characteristic, and by the way, I might not be saying all of them, okay? You can add to it. There is a greater joy for a teacher in researching the truth than presenting the truth, okay? They're just hardwired that way. They just want to be accurate. In fact, sometimes they're so accurate, they could be at times dry. I've had teachers at, at, in theology who I thought, okay, come on, get to the good stuff. Tell me what this should live in. And they are, frankly, I, I, would, I would be honest to tell you, they're a little dry. In fact, I had a guy for um, archaeology. I don't know if I've told you about that guy. I won't give his name. But he had a syllabus about this fat. And he just, I felt like it was Charlie Brown a little bit. Blah, 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 blah. And I felt like I could get up, walk out of the class, and he would still keep reading his syllabus, you know. And, uh, but what, what is that? I'm probably making fun of myself more. He's a gifted teacher. He wants to get it right, okay. But sometimes an emphasis, misunderstanding on accuracy may appear to neglect application. Some of you are like, yeah, Scott, sometimes you could do that. Some of you just, you just want to know what I'm to do with it, and um, that's all right. I don't mind you saying that. I just know as your pastor, I had to labor for a year in Ephesians 1 through 3 before I could get you to 4 through 6. So I have to labor, and you're a mature body that can sit under that. But sometimes with this desire becomes an accuracy, appears to neglect application. Sometimes, secondly, the concern for details may appear to be unnecessary to those listening. You've probably sat in a class or a sermon, and you're like, is this necessary? The word the is T-H-E, and it just goes so in fact, the need to be objective for a gifted man or woman as a teacher may appear to lack warmth and feeling when speaking. Understand that. There's characteristics, and we have to understand how some people are wired. Number four, the gift of exhortation. The gift of exhortation. You could see it. Look at verse eight. If one who exhorts... In his exhortation, in other words, before we go on, if you have the gift of prophecy, then do it in proportion to the faith. If you have the gift of teaching here or service in your serving, teaching in your teaching and in your exhortation or the, those who exhort in their exhortation. Now, you say, what is that? Well, uh, obviously there's, huh, when you say, what is that? 
there's a word there. This is the very breath of God. This is the word of God. And so there's a word for exhortation. And so I'm explaining that to you. It's some similarity to teaching, yet distinct. Say, how so? Teaching imparts knowledge. Just a broad view here. The exhorter takes the word of God, if you will, and appeals for obedience. That's what the exhorter does. A teacher might just roll it out. Now, every good teacher is going to apply. So if you're a teacher in here, I don't mean to say you're not. But an exhorter, they, they want to appeal to obedience. Teaching, broad sweep, is directed to the mind. Exhortation is directed to the heart, to the will. The exhorter helps apply truth. In fact, the word, you've seen it before and I've said it before, is the same word of Paul when he said, I urge you, brethren, in I therefore the prison of the Lord urge you. That's the word for exhort. It's the word parakaleo, if you will. And it means to call to one side. So here's how this gift works in our body. You call to one side. And the word means pleading, encouraging, comforting, and warning. What's unique about this word in the scripture, it has a double meaning to it, okay? Maybe at least a double effect. It's used first to comfort believers in trial. Someone with this gift can come alongside someone and take the word of God and place it into their heart in a pleading, encouraging, consoling way. But the other idea of parakaleo, to exhort, is to exhort someone to continue in the faith. In other words, you may be encouraging on the one hand. On the other hand, you may be warning. Let me show you a few scriptures where this comes up, and I'm on the word exhort. They preach the gospel. This is a function of leaders, but I don't mean it always this way. They preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples. They strengthened to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, and here's the word, encouraging them to continue in the faith. When those apostles went back, they were taking the word of God and appealing for obedience. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Would you pray for sweet Abby, who sits in a hospital room all alone with nobody to stand as her advocate. I mean, my heart breaks for that. She doesn't have a family member there. Micah had tested positive for COVID. He can't go in. She's sitting there by herself. And, you know, you say that's hard. And some of you have had family that have passed away. That's hard. But when you think of this gift, you've got somebody in a trial. And this man or woman wants to encourage someone. They're the next one. Thus Joseph, we know him, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. This was his very name, title, which means the son of encouragement. Man, this guy just encouraged people. Listen, Paul was done. John, John Mark, you're toast. 
And they got in such a hard argument that they had to split and go two different ways. And it was Barnabas who put his arm around John Mark and saw this scripture. We urge you, brothers, this is not leadership. Admonish the idol. The NASB says, admonish the unruly. Here's the word. You see it? I, I highlighted it. Encourage the faint-hearted. This is what an exhorter does. You ha- some of you have this gift. Are you using it? Huh. You say, what do you mean I've been given a gift? Well, I already talked about that a few weeks ago. Every one of you who are in Christ have a gift. We need you because you know why? There's people in the church who are faint-hearted. In fact, you may be crying as I'm speaking now. To be faint-hearted is the Greek word dipsuko. And it means to be two-souled. You're faint-hearted. The the first person, you're admonishing the one who's idle, the one who's unruly. But then the second condition is you got somebody faint-hearted and you need someone to encourage the faint-hearted. You say, well, Scott, isn't this just a principle for the body of Christ at large? Sure. Can everybody do that? Sure. It's not talking about spiritual gifts there. But again, somebody, a man or woman who's uniquely gifted that way may see what you can't see in somebody's hurt and the depth of a trial. You know this one in Hebrews. Again, exhort, parakaleo, one another every day. And the, the NASB says, encourage one another. Okay, these are translations. They're both good. But exhort one another. In other words, come alongside them. You might need to just encourage them. You might need to warn them that none of you may be hardened by the what? The deceitfulness of sin. Some of you, as I speak, are on the edge of a cliff as I speak. You say, are are you aware of anybody? No. But I pray that you wouldn't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I pray that as, our, as we walk in full of the Spirit, all of us can do this. But there's some who are gifted that way. Now, well, I think I've shared this once. Maybe it's worth saying one more time. I was, I was out at, at a pool walking, and I'm just super discouraged in ministry. I'm just like, this is hard I just can't do this. Why should I do this? Why should I sacrifice my family? You know, I'm just, you know. And I get this phone call. And I get it from a guy who's gifted this way. And you don't have to be gifted, but you understand my point. And he calls me and he's weeping on the phone. Dear friend of mine from high school, you're weeping. He goes, I don't know what it is, Scott. He goes, the Lord just laid you so much on my heart. I, I'm weeping and I don't even know why, but I need to call you. And it brought a tear to my eye. Here I was very discouraged. And some way, somehow, God's going to use a friend to call me at my deepest trial and to lift me up and to encourage me at a time when I was super down. Super even, I would even use the word almost depressed. This is an important quality. Uh, Some people say this is the gift of counseling. And I would say no. Counseling 
is not a gift. Counseling is a process, but very well, some people who are 70, 60 of our people who are in our counseling cohorts are working how to do this in our body. So what are you talking about? We've got 60 people meeting in about eight different groups, walking through the biblical doctrine of sanctification so that they can help you. So why would you do that? That's how the body works. Some people want to be uniquely uh, helpful here. So this exhortation gift can be used in teaching and preaching, but it could also be used in an informal conversation. So it's both a public ministry, but it's equally a private ministry. What's a characteristic of this? An ability to see tribulation. An ability to see tribulation produce new levels of maturity. In other words, you don't see the problem. You see what God's doing in the midst of all of this. That's that gift. A grief when teaching, this is characteristic, a grief when teaching is not backed up by practical steps of action. You're want, you want to appeal for obedience, and if you're just hearing somebody, you know, just take you through the fat syllabus and never make the connection, they may be grieved. Thirdly, there's an ability to motivate people to spiritual goals. You have a heart to not only come to them, but you want to put, help put their life in order to help them. Maybe a misunderstanding here is an emphasis on steps of action may appear to oversimplify the problem. You got to be careful sometimes. In other words, you see it, here's the goals, here's what you need to do, and the person you're talking to is crushed, and it may appear to oversimplify the problem when the person's trying to help you, and maybe sometimes they just need to back up, okay? But let me ask you, do you seek to help, help people who have personal problems? There, there's a guy on our elder team who has this gift, and I love him, because he finds what we sometimes can't find, but this type of person has a joy in encouraging people who are going through a trial. This person sometimes can have patience to be a good listener. Number five, okay, number five, uh, giving. I call it the gift of giving. Do you see it? And I think I'm done with this, which is a bummer. So I'm just going to cut it off in a moment, okay? But I got to get this one out. Uh, it, you see it in verse 8, excuse me. It, it uses this word, the one who contributes, it says, in generosity. The one who contributes with generosity. You say, what is this gift, the one who contributes, the one who gives? I can give you the Greek word if you want it, metadidomai. Sometimes they say the one who gives, and here it's the one who contributes. It means to impart of your earthly possessions to another. It is the ability, now, now I'm, I'm holding off I hear. You're saying, Scott, all believers should give. Oh, absolutely. All believers should show mercy. I won't have time. Sure. But I'm telling you that some of you in this room, and you know that, I'll just tell you who you are, right? You, you, you see a need, but you don't just see it, you've got to respond to it, is the thought, okay? So all are to give, but some have this gift. And the one who gives is to give with, it says there, generosity. And the ideal is, 
liberally is the thought, or simplicity. That as you give, give with sincerity. It's giving, if you will, with a single-minded purpose. In other words, these men and women have no ulterior motives for the glory. Uh, only no ulterior, There's no ulterior motives in them. It's only for the glory of God with no, tho- no thought of hope or hope of repayment. It's a freedom from hypocrisy. It's a giving with generosity. It's a giving with liberality. It's the open-heartedness, the single-mindedness, the generosity of the giver. And I just want to say it doesn't take money. Because look at this verse. It doesn't take money to have this gift. Go, guys, to the next one. Okay? It, it's, uh, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't put it in there. You could write this down. My fault. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, that in the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance and joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were poor, but in 2 Corinthians 8, 2, they gave out of their deep poverty of their wealth and their liberality. What's the characteristics of this gift? There's enjoyment in meeting needs without pressure of appeals. You may be married to one. You could be a bean counter, you know, doing your budget, and a need comes up, and this type of gift wants to meet the need without pressure of appeal. This type of person, man or woman, has a concern that the gift be of high quality, okay? They want to be a channel. They want to be a blessing. There is a desire characteristic to, uh, to be part of the work, to be part of the person to whom he or she gives. You want to share that. Listen, some of you might not understand it, <laughs> but... There are men and women hardwired like this, okay? There is even an attempt, and I'm given a characteristic, to use his or her giving to motivate others to give. So what do you mean by that, Scott? Well, a giver doesn't want to just do it alone. He's going to bring a team with him or with her, and they want other people to give just as they've expressed in their own hearts, Uh, Sometimes the misunderstandings of the gift of giving is a desire of these men and women to increase effectiveness of a ministry by their gift may appear as an attempt to control the work or the person. And I just want to discount that. They don't want there to be control. They just want, in most cases, effectiveness. But that's a misunderstanding The attempt to encourage others to give may appear as a lack of generosity or even pressure you may feel. Well, I just want you to know some of these men and women are operating in their gift. And if they're giving, they would think, how could you not give? Open your wallet, open your page, you know, your wallet, open your heart and give. And you say, why would they think that? Because that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing, and they want you to do it, and so forth. So let me so ask this question. Do you find it easy to give a gift to others without thought of what you will receive in return? People who have this gift, they sometimes die. They want to be wise. There needs to be accountability, but they give it, okay? Do you enjoy giving regardless of the response to the one whom you give? When you give to people and projects, 
there's a desire sometimes to avoid publicity. This is a characteristic. Or letting anyone know that you did. You know, I can honestly say, I've pastored here for nine years. And I've never felt pressure from one person here. I'm telling you that as your lead pastor. Nobody has ever said, I'll give you this gift, but here's what you need to do with it. This is a, you know, you can walk out praising God for that. Some people, some want to control it, but the people I know, the men and women here, they give and they, sometimes they give without taking a lot of time, without taking a lot of planning. Sometimes these men and women are quick and they're, you know, decisive, to which I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's quick and they're actually thrilled when someone asks them to help in most cases financially in a project they consider it a great privilege. Wow. I didn't get to leading, and I didn't get to mercy. Leading is a phenomenal gift, and mercy is an incredible gift. Listen, those are on the notes. When you open the ministry expo, I just, I put six pages, I put my notes in that booklet. You could have these Look at these as we go forward. But listen, let me just say, Jesus Christ has all these gifts. He ascended into glory. And you say when he ascended into glory, he gave gifts unto people. And that's you and we need you, okay? So bow your head with me. I'll call the worship team up and we'll pray.